You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Here, Exodus chapter 4. Read that one more time here. Exodus chapter 4. And look with me at verse number 10. And the Bible says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, since, uh, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Now notice here, up to this point, God has called Moses to do a job. Now in that, Moses is, is sort of arguing back with God. Now I know none of us have ever argued with God. We've never given a reason why we can't. And you know, what a, what a wonderful God that He knows what we can. And you know what? He knows what we can't. And He goes on here, and uh, the Bible says, uh, let's see here in verse number 14, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be thy mouth. And, and I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of a God. And here we have God interacting with Moses, and there is a, there's a transition God is, as we looked at last week, God was reorganizing in Joseph's life. Now in Exodus chapter 2, we find this transition taking place where God is moving again. God again is following through with this transition. Exodus chapter 2, we see how God's people had been in bondage now for 400 years. So since God had been working in Joseph's life and we could see what was going on and we could see God's plan, now a period of 400 years passes and God is still working to bring about his plan. In chapter 2, verse 23, the Bible says, And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up uh, unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. So here again, we see how when God was dealing and working in Joseph's life, he, he referred back to his promises in uh, Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. 
And now again, 400 years after Joseph, uh, we find uh, after God's people had been in bondage for that period of time, uh, now again, God is referring back to his promises. You know, it's amazing how God doesn't forget a promise. You know, there have been times where I have forgotten promises. It wasn't that I was intentionally meaning not to keep a promise. I just forgot. God never forgets. There is nothing that God has ever said and said, Oh, forgot about that one. Forgot about that promise. That has never taken place. And so this 400 years had passed. And it's a great amount of time in our eyes. But in God's eyes, compared to eternity, it's just a moment. I wonder how many lives began and ended without ever seeing what God was doing. You know, when we look at our life, We look at it as though it all matters right now. And it does to us. But God's picture is bigger than us. God's plan is stretched so much farther than what we can even grasp. It's not just based on what we can see in our lives. God, in who is outside time, has a plan for time. And you and I are stuck in that realm, but God is not. And God's plan is maybe not a three-year plan or a five-year plan, Maybe God is, his plan is a 3,000 year plan and a 5,000 year plan and a 7,000 year plan. We don't know what the realm of that is, but we do know that God does have a plan and and as God is dealing here with his people, he has not forgotten his promises that he had made. God is going to bring a deliverer and a new leader onto, into the picture. Uh, there is a new transition, a new reorganization that is taking place. And uh, uh, he is going to bring somebody in the picture whose life should have been ended at birth. We're talking about Moses. All of the male children were supposed to be killed. We're talking about a man whose life uh, was saved as a baby when his mama put him into an ark. Unknowing of what was going to transpire. Just a small glimmer of hope that the God who saved humanity through an ark would do it again for her baby. And you think how uh, this man, he had so much against him. And then all of a sudden, everything flipped. And he became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
And he went into the palace and he had all the teachings and, and now a, a, a little boy who, whose life should have been ended is now the one that has the silver, uh, silver spoon in his mouth. And he has all the teaching and he has all the training. And uh, this man uh, who had so much, but a man who in a uh, uh, little bit of time and as he grows up has a time of a lapse of judgment. You know what? This lapse of judgment, he took another man's life. He justified it because they were smiting one of the Hebrews. But there were still consequences. And now all of a sudden, what do we find? We find Moses having to flee. First 40 years of Moses' life, he was somebody. The next 40 years of Moses' life, he is going to find out he's a nobody. He is, gonna, he is going to be on the backside of the desert with a bunch of dumb sheep. Day in and day out, caring for sheep. And though it did not seem all of the dreams that he had, all of the plans, all of the aspirations, they all came to a halt. But God wasn't done. God wasn't done. You see, this man who became an exile on the backside of the desert, it was a time of teaching, it was a time of growing, it was a time of building, and it was a time of rebuilding. But God was still working. And this morning, I want to just walk through some of the processes in Moses' life when he came to the call of God on his life. And I want to look at some of the responses that we can see because God has a call on all of our lives. Though I say that God's plan is bigger than you and I in our life, it includes our life. If it did not include our life, we would not be here. So, so God has a plan for each and every one of us to accomplish his purpose. And this morning, I want to speak to you on the subject, you're on the team. You're on the team. And let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning, just uh, grow us, and uh, Lord, help us to make proper application in our own lives. And you know exactly what each of us are going through. You know our burdens. You know our, our, our victories. You know things are going well. You know when things are going uh, sour. And I pray that you would just help us. Uh, Lord, help us to recognize your workings in our lives and uh, help us to see uh, what, what uh, you have done in the past and help it to guide us as we live in our present. And so I pray that you'd bless now for Christ's sake. Amen. I want you to see several things here this morning. First of all, I want you to see a condition. Uh, go back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 1. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse number 1. Uh, we'll read the first nine verses together here. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed." 
And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when, Moses, uh, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come up unto me, and I, I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Uh, I want you to see, first of all, the Lord is aware of the condition. He knows what is going on. Uh, sometimes uh, we, we wonder, Lord, Maybe it's just me. I, I, you're, maybe you're more spiritual and you never think this. It's like, what is going on, Lord? What, what are you doing? How is this going to bring honor and glory to you? How can this be a part of your plan? I know you've never thought that, but I have. And, and sometimes you look at what's going on and it's just like, okay, how can this be your will? How can this be your plan? How can your people be oppressed? How can your people be slaves? How can your people endure all of this? This affliction and oppression, how can that be a part of your sovereign plan? But it was. For over 400 years it was. You know, God's aware of the condition. He's aware of what is going on, and, and with that, uh, he knows what to do. He understands what is going on. Uh, years ago, I used to coach high school basketball, and we were in a game, and, and as I was coaching, uh, we were in a small gym. It was, it was a terrible gym. It was such a bad gym, it had indoor-outdoor carpeting as the floor of the gym. It was horrible. And, and so here we are, we're in this gym, and right behind me are all all of the parents, and uh, there was no room. There was no bleachers. There were just chairs, and uh, your feet were literally on the line for the for the core. It was just a it was a horrible spot. But we couldn't get any place else for these games, and so we were. I was coaching, and and one of my players was he was and he was a good player, but he was not running. And this player, he was he he had the talents and he had the ability. But he wouldn't run for a fast break. He wouldn't run to get back onto defense. He was just sort of trotting down the court as though there was not a game going on, as if he did not care. And, and so anyway, I, I called for a sub. And I had one of the subs go up to the table. The whistle had blown. We did a sub. And I subbed out probably one of the best players on the team for somebody who was a... Bench warmer. 
Brother David went, no, it wasn't Brother David. Um, but uh, but one, of the, one of the other players that was not a starter, I took off the star from the, the team and I replaced him. You should have heard all of the remarks that were coming in my ear. I mean, what are you doing? You're taking the best person off of the floor. How are we going to, I mean, I just started getting all of this going in the back right behind me. And I'm just getting madder and madder. I know that would never bother you. Uh, but uh, here I was getting frustrated. But I knew what the condition was. His lackadaisical attitude was going to impact the entire team. And if the, if the star of the team, if the most athletic on the team was not going to run, nobody was going to run. You know what? When I pulled that kid in off of the bench, you know what he did? He was so excited about being in the game, he ran. And he was busting it. And you know what happened to everybody else that was on the team? They were looking around and they were seeing this guy, this guy being excited about it. You know what it did? It just breathed some energy back into everybody's uh, mind. And then pretty soon, I had that young man right there at the side of my seat. Hey, coach, put me back in. Hey, coach, put me back in. And he knew why he got benched. I didn't have to say anything to him. Uh, he knew exactly, hey, coach, I'll, I'll get in there. I'll, I'll hustle. I'll hustle. Coach, put me back in. You know what? God knows what's going on. He knows the condition of your life. He knows the pressures. He knows the problems that you're facing. He knows what's in your future. God knows everything. And as we look at this, uh, maybe God's people felt like God had abandoned them. Maybe God's people felt like God didn't know what he was doing. But God does. You know, you and I are not victims of circumstance. Let me say that again. You and I are not victims of circumstance. God knew everything that was going to happen before it ever happened. Not saying that everything that happens is good. Not saying that everything that happens is holy. Not saying everything that happened should have happened. But God's aware of it. He knows the condition. You know, when you know the condition, you know what to do about it. Well, at least God knows what to do about it. Sometimes we look around and we see a condition and we're like, okay, now what do I do? But God knows exactly what to do. You see, the Lord reveals what the, the condition is. He shows the affliction uh, and, the, and he hears the cry in verse number seven. He knows their sorrows in verse number eight and their oppression. But the Lord also reveals his response. He says, I am come down to deliver. God is not a passive God. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Lord said that after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, and right before he went back to heaven. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You see, the Lord knows. He knows our condition. He knows what's coming uh, down the path. He says, I am come down to deliver. He says, I am come to bring them up out of the land of affliction. That means that God's going to not leave us in this same condition. He's not going to leave us there. I am come to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. What is that? That's a place of blessing. You know, God has blessings for us. 
And there may be burdens and there may be heartaches and there may be problems that we face, but God has, has a plan to bring us into a place of blessing. Not a place of survival, not a place of existence, not, but a place of bounty, a place of blessing. So I want you to see here, first of all, God sees the condition. Secondly, we see the calling. We see a condition, but then we see a calling. Exodus 3 and verse number 10. Now therefore, come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know, isn't it amazing how God gets right to the point? Here he is, he shows up. He tells Moses, take off your feet. The place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And then he says, okay, now I've got a job for you to do. God just gets right to the point. He says, come now, therefore. Now, that word, that statement, come thou, come now, therefore. God is saying, listen, I have something for you, but before I give you what I want you to do, I want you to come. You know, it's amazing how we see that same statement given to to Noah. Come thou into the ark. You see, God isn't a God that just sins, though he will. And it's going to come to where he's going to say, now go. But before he says go, he says come. You know what, you and I, before we can ever do anything for God, we have to come to God. There has got to be a relationship with the Lord, and the Lord knows our condition. He knows our burdens, but the the first thing he says is, come now, therefore. God wants you not to just go and do. God wants you to come to him. He wants there to be a relationship. He wants there to be a closeness. He does not just send us as as a slave or as a servant. God, first, he wants to have a relationship, and he wants to get us on on his side, not for him to come to our side. I wonder how often in our prayers it's, God, come now, therefore. God, you come to me. God, you meet my need. God, I need this, and God, I want you to do this. But before God ever said anything about Moses going and doing, God said, I want you to come. Come now, therefore. Leave where you are and come to where I am. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. You know what that's going to be? That's going to be a coming to where God is. It's not going to be God coming to where we are. It It wasn't a go, it was a come. If you, are, if you or I attempt to go without first coming, we will fail. The Lord said, without me, ye can do nothing. Let's say that together. For without me, ye can do nothing. It's true. It's true. 
I've tried on my own. And it doesn't work. Without me, you can do nothing. He said to come. Notice the patience of God. It was a request. Doesn't, doesn't God have the right to require and demand? But it wasn't a command, it was a call. Come now, therefore. God is a patient, gracious, loving God. In my journal, as I write my journal out in the mornings when I do my Bible study, I've got a spot for praise and thanksgiving. Almost every morning, not every morning, I'll do different attributes of God. But almost always, the long-suffering of God is on that list. Aren't you glad God puts up with us? I mean, God has the ability to demand, but he does not. In this place, he is just calling him, come, the patience of God, the pursuing of God. He begins this conversation and with come. And so this same call uh, we saw in, in, as I referred to about Moses or Noah, uh, it was there in, in Genesis chapter number seven. But we see here that there is a uh, the condition. Uh, we see here uh, a calling uh, where God says, come now, therefore. And then I want you to see, thirdly, I want you to see a contest to the call. A contest to the call. This is an argument. This is Moses not agreeing with God. Now that just seems so terrible that Moses would not agree with God. But how often do we not agree? We would not verbalize it though. We're more spiritual than that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't just outright say, God, I don't agree with our words. But God knows our heart. He knows exactly what's going on on the inside. Verse number 11, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Uh, he, he is saying, Who am I? Who, who am I to do this? I, I have no, uh, no ability to do that. Uh, but we're just like Moses. Uh, when God calls, we recognize our insignificance. We recognize our insufficiency. Here he is showing uh, God his inability. He's saying, who am I? He's, he's telling God, well, God, I don't have the position. I, I don't have a title. I don't have a position. Uh, the elders and the people, they're not going to listen to me. I don't have the political influence. Pharaoh is going to blow me off. Who am I? He, he is giving, I don't have the power to ac accomplish this task that you have given to me. Isn't it amazing how we can tell God why we can't? And if I look at these reasons, I have to agree with Moses. You know what, Moses, you're right. <laughs> Who's going to listen to you? 
several occasions, we will travel down, staff will go down to the, uh, to the Capitol. And we've been inside and talked to, uh, to some of the representatives and been in their offices. Uh, Ms. Brown and I have been to D.C. and we've sat in uh, senators' offices and congressmen and we've, we've prayed with them. And, uh, but, but you know what? You get into that scenario, that political realm, all of a sudden you realize how small you are. If I were to walk in and say, I'd like to, I'd like to speak with the president. Who's going to listen? Why would Moses think that this guy that just came off the backside of the desert, taking care of a bunch of sheep, he probably still smells like sheep. He's, car- he's still carrying a staff as a shepherd. Who's going to listen to him? And I'm just with Moses right there. You're right. There's nobody going to listen to you. I was, I was in uh, church one, one Sunday uh, years ago, and I was an assistant pastor, and Brother, Brother Mingi and I were in the back of the auditorium, and people were leaving. We were just uh, talking as they were exiting, and, and there was this man that went over uh, and started talking to Pastor Mingi, and for some reason, something caught my attention, and so I stepped over, and, and this man uh, said, I just want you to know that God told me that uh, you're supposed to leave and that I am going to be the pastor of this church. Brother Mingy, he was, he was just so quick. He said, that's so interesting because God hasn't told me that yet. <laughs> and, and then it was just like, I mean, I'm thinking in my mind the audacity of this guy to, to just walk in and say, I just want you to know you're leaving, I'm coming, I'm gonna be in charge. He was supposed to go to the elders of the nation of Israel. Who's gonna listen There is nothing about this story that makes any sense. And and I can imagine, though we give Moses a hard time for contesting God's call here, it's a pretty legitimate uh, uh, opposition. His his responses, they make sense. I mean, politically and personally and the, the power, the position, he doesn't have any of it. But God knew about it. And God has a call for us. And God has a job for us to do. And he knows exactly what, what is going on. Uh, we, are, we ask questions and we may offer uh, some contest, uh, contest against the, uh, what God is asking. But God already has the answer here. Verse number 11, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. You know what? God here is now telling him the end of the, pro- the process. God didn't plan for failure. And though there were going to be all kinds of oppositions between this moment and God's people going into Canaan, God here, he already had all the answers figured out. Moses continued in his contesting of God's call 
of God's methods, but we find a God who not only gives commands, we see, fourthly, we see a concession. God concedes to Moses' desire. Now think about that. If anybody's going to concede, shouldn't it be us? Shouldn't we be the one that concedes, not God? But God here, what a wonderful, what a wonderful picture in leadership. Just because you have the position in the right doesn't mean you always have to have your exact way. And here, as God is leading, he offers a concession. He offers a concession here. There is a condition, there is the calling, there was the contest uh, of the calling, but the God of heaven makes a concession. Look at verse number 10. Uh, again, we're going to read through this. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am, of, I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now there Therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of, whom, uh, of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be, even shall be to thee instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be be to him instead of God. You see, Moses still doesn't feel like he can do what God has called him to do, but God had a plan. God was going to bring somebody else on the team. Somebody that had a strength in the area of Moses' weakness. You know, what we see all through Scripture is God pulls people together to accomplish his work. You see, there was a team. It was not just one individual. It was not just one leader. It wasn't just one to decide. It wasn't just one to lead. It wasn't just one to speak. We see here this concession that God brings somebody alongside that could help Moses. And you know what? Uh, I just want this morning, I want you to realize that you're on the team. God has a plan for you, and he wants you to be a part of a team to accomplish his work. He doesn't expect you or I to do everything. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our insecurities. He knows our failures, but, but he puts us on a team. You see, there's a job that needs to get done, and it may be your job, or maybe your spouse's job, it may be your family, it may be a ministry, it may be a service, it may be church, but we're on a team to accomplish God's plan. God likened it in Corinthians to a body. The church is the body. The hand, the foot, the eye, the mouth, the ear, the nose. All of it working together to accomplish his purpose. We are all called corporately together for the furtherance of the gospel. Amen.
As a church, we are called corporately to work together for the furtherance of the gospel. It's a team effort. This week, Brother Jordan was able to, to uh, he and another man were able to see a couple people saved out soul winning. Praise the Lord. That's a blessing. Yesterday, we had about 30 people go out and share the gospel in the community. Praise the Lord. But we're all on a team. We passed out those mugs last week and people went out and they grabbed the mugs and I encouraged them, hey, take this and use it as an opportunity to talk to your neighbors and give them one of the church uh, theme mugs and, uh, and invite them to church. And, uh, and, and I've heard people uh, telling me some stories. I, I've got a follow-up that was just handed to me this morning of someone who had handed one of them out and how there was a response. You know what? We're on a team. And we're not all going to be the spokesman, and we're not all going to be the person that has maybe a title or a position, but we're all on the team. And we're all called uh, to communicate uh, the good news of the Savior, his gift of salvation. We're called to assist God's people to move from a place of sorrow and affliction and hurt and heartache to a place of bounty and blessing. We're all called to, to help. You see, Moses and Aaron were going to be on a team together. It wasn't going to just stop there. There were going to be priests. There were going to be other individuals who were going to be added into this team. But it was going to be a team. Moses and Aaron were going to, uh, were going to be a team together. Aaron would be Moses' mouth. Moses would be to Aaron as God. I think about that, re that relationship. What a powerful relationship. Moses didn't say, you treat me as God. God said to, to Moses that, that he would be to Aaron as God. That's a, that's a relationship that is a very special relationship. It was a great opportunity to work together. It was a great responsibility. But what do we see? We see God conceding. God knows our weakness. He says, I made you. He, he said, I know your insecurities. I know your strengths and I know your weaknesses. He says, go ahead, get your big brother. You guys can work together. I'll let you guys work together as a team. You know, God is so gracious that he would ever allow us, that he would ever call, but that he would ever concede to our request, Lord, I can't do this. I need some extra help. And God says, okay, I've got somebody who can do that. I've got someone who can help. People of God, we are weak. And many times we are insecure. We know that we are insufficient, but God not only calls, he equips. And God equips us to accomplish this great job. So the Lord saw all this before he ever called Moses. Before the burning bush ever was lit, God already knew this conversation was going to come. And God had already planned a team for Moses to have so he could feel 
that he could move forward. You're not alone. You're not alone. God doesn't expect you to do it all by yourself. You're on a team. So you say, Pastor, I'm on a team. Then what do I need to do? Get off the couch. Let's get with it. You say, well, nobody's, I, I don't have any responsibility. Come on board. There are a lot of things to do. Get off the couch and put your jersey on. Well, let's get busy. We've got to show up for practice. No practice, no game day. We've got to do what we can do. But God doesn't expect us to do it all by ourselves. There's a team. As a church, God assembles us. He hath added everyone, every one of the members, as it hath pleased him. God puts us where he wants us. He puts us on the right team. And that team then should be better because we are apart. Let's add two. The team needs you. It's game day. It's time to play. It's time to go. It's time to get it. It's not time to be lackadaisical. We'll do that when we get to heaven. Work for the night is coming. Night cometh when no man can work. There's coming a day when we will never have an opportunity to serve God like we have right now. So let's use those opportunities. You're on the team. You say, well, pastor, I'm not there yet. I'm not on the team. Come on in, the water's fine. Come on in. Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, just to recognize uh, your, your calling on each of our lives. And Lord, you have not placed us down here just to exist. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to, to recognize the opportunities that you give to us to serve you. And I pray that you'd bless each one here this morning. And Lord, maybe we need some encouragement. Maybe we need some comfort. Uh, Lord, maybe we need some correction. I don't know what needs to go on in each person's life, but you do. And I pray that you would help us to be submitted to your will. May the Spirit of God work in our hearts. Just lead us and guide us. Help us, Lord, to respond to your will in our lives. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You know the Lord is your personal Savior. If you don't, that's the first spot is to put your faith in Christ. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the pastors are down front. And we would love to have the opportunity just to open up the Bible and show you what God has to say about you going to heaven. If you're watching online and you're unsure of your eternal destiny, there's a number on the screen. Let me encourage you to text heaven to that number. We'll get back with you and answer any questions that we can about your eternal destiny. But how about it, child of God? Are we doing our part or are we just throwing up reasons why we can't? 
Are we engaged? Are we helping? Are we uh, supporting? Are we, are we on the team that God has called us to be on? Or do we need to light a fire in our own soul? What do we need to do today? Just right where you're at, make an altar. Do business with God. And let's ask Him to help us as we move forward. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc4me.org. May God bless you.